Well, as Bevan mentioned, and as most of you know, for the previous five weeks, we were in this series where we were talking about our next move, the next move that, that God is leading us to take as a church. And as a part of that series, we looked quite a bit at what the Bible has to say about the topics of generosity and of giving. And so if you were here last week, also as, as Bevan mentioned, then you got to see something fairly unique and, and, and pretty cool, honestly, in the life of a church as we all physically brought our gifts and, and gave toward the project that's going to allow us to build the new kids' building over across the way. So today, we're actually going to shift gears a little bit, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at this kind of giving that, um, that the Bible commands, a different kind of giving that the Bible commands. And we see it right here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let me read this for us. It says, Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here, we'll, we are clearly told to give thanks. And so what we're going to do is uh, this week and then next week, which of course are the two weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we're going to explore uh, how it is that we give thanks, what it means to give thanks, and, and specifically how we give thanks, particularly how we give thanks in times when, frankly, we're not feeling very thankful. Now, um, 11 days from now, most of us are going to find ourselves at a table somewhere, probably with friends and with family, or with family, and, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal. Um, and so, you know, on Thanksgiving, obviously the, the top priority for us, I'd like to say it's, it's giving thanks, but honestly, well, it might not be. Um, the top focus of our energy and our anticipation on Thanksgiving is usually the meal itself. For me, it's, it's my favorite holiday of the year. I look forward to it all year long, and it's not for the opportunity to give thanks. It's for the turkey, it's for the stuffing, and, and of course, the mashed potatoes. Um, and so along with this meal that we're all going to put together and sit down for, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to pull out the fancy dishes. And so I brought, I brought from my home, this is one of our fancy dishes. This is our gravy boat. <laughs> and just to clarify... This is, not so, this is something that my wife brought into our marriage. I was not a single guy with a gravy boat. I was not the only one of my friends who had a flowery gravy boat as a single guy. My wife brought this into our marriage. Now I call it ours. It's our gravy boat. I didn't even really know what a gravy boat was until I got married. Now I have one. <laughs> but unless you're just a big fan of fancy dining and you love doing it year-round, then this is probably something that, that doesn't come out a lot in your home probably doesn't see much action throughout the year. If you're, a, if you're a China gravy boat, then really Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, those are really your moments to shine. Those are your moments in the sun. You might make a few guest appearances throughout the year, but no one would really classify you as an everyday item for sure. So that is my gravy boat. This is my favorite coffee mug. It's a different story for this guy. Unlike the gravy boat, this guy, he gets used year-round. This guy, or, or one of his friends, gets used pretty much every single day. And usually, three, four, five, six times a day, he's getting used. And it doesn't really even matter what kind of day it is. It can be a holiday, or it can be a random Tuesday in March. It can be a really good day, or it can be a really bad day. In fact, on the bad days... I'm probably even more likely to pull this out and drink a lot more coffee on those, on those bad days. And even if I'm sick as a dog, 
it might contain tea instead of coffee, but either way, this mug is getting used. So through the highs and the lows of life, this mug is getting used. And when it comes to the role of thanksgiving in our lives, God wants it to be more like the mug and less like the gravy boat. Thankfulness is something that he wants us to be practicing, not just on on special occasions or not just when really good news comes along and we're thankful because of that good news that we heard. God wants thanksgiving, giving thanks, to be something that is a part of our lives on the good days and on the bad days, on holidays and on random Tuesdays in March. He wants it to be a part of our lives on the healthy days and on the sick days. He doesn't want Thanksgiving to be something that we just kind of dabble in or something that we only practice under ideal conditions. Instead, he wants it to be something that's just a normal state in which we live our lives. And so how do we know? I'm saying that's what God wants for us. How do we know that that's actually something that God wants for us? Well, we just read it. In the verse that I opened up with, we see it plain as day right there. It says we're to give thanks in all circumstances. And then it goes on to say very plainly, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But if you read the book of 1 Thessalonians that this comes from, it's a, it's a book that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Thessalonica shortly after the time of Christ. If you read that book, you see that this command to give thanks, it's actually the third in a list of kind of these three rapid-fire commands that Paul gives. And so if we back it up from verse 18 and we look at verses 16 and 17, here's what we see. It says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you see the three commands here. The three commands are be joyful, pray, and give thanks. And then when are we supposed to do these things? Well, always, continually, in all circumstances. So the idea is that There's this three-pack of things, if you will, this three-pack of things that we should aim to be in this constant state of practicing, always, continually, in all circumstances. And so Thanksgiving shouldn't be something that just makes a guest appearance in our lives, like, like my gravy boat is. It shouldn't just make a guest appearance. God actually wants this to be our MO. He wants this to be the normal state in which we conduct ourselves, thankfulness. This, we're told, is his will for us. And so then why would this be so important to God? Why would this be such a big deal to him? It is important to him. We just read that. But why? Why then would it be important to him? Well, one reason is that the act of giving thanks is one of the greatest tools that we have at our disposal for realigning our perspectives. Particularly, it realigns our perspective on who God is and then who we are in relation to God. Thanking God, it reminds us of our need for him, and it reminds us of our dependence on him. It reminds us that God, not not me, not other people, God is the source of every good thing that I have and that I hope in. James 1.17 talks about this. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, thanks is actually what you give to someone who has already given you something. When we thank someone, what we're really doing is we're acknowledging you are the giver and I am the recipient. And so if I came up to you and I thanked you for something, maybe a gift, if I, if I said thank you for this gift, but it turned out 
that you weren't the one who had actually given it to me, then what would you do? You would quickly say, oh, no, no, that wasn't, that wasn't me who gave it to you. It was, it was so-and-so. And then I would go and I would actually thank the person who had done the giving. I would direct my thanks to the one who had actually done the giving. And that's because gratitude is offered to the giver of the gift. And so when we thank God, what we're really doing is we're actually elevating him up to his proper role as the giver. And at the same time, we're humbling ourselves to our proper role as the recipients. We're correctly categorizing God as the giver and us as the recipients when we thank him. And this is true when we thank God for any good gift that we have in our lives that we receive from him, but it's especially true when it comes to the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, most helpful verses in the Bible, and um, it, it talks about that gift. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And when it says wages, it's talking about what we earn. So it's saying what we earn from our sin is death or separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. So contrary to what we've earned, God is offering this gift of eternal life. And that gift is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so when I give thanks for my meal, I'm acknowledging that God is the giver of my food, right? But then when I give thanks for Christ, I'm actually acknowledging that God is the giver of this gift of eternal life. And that's something that I never could have worked for on my own, that I never could have earned on my own, but instead he offered that to me freely. So giving thanks, it's a powerful realignment tool because it reminds us that every good thing that we have and first and foremost, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, every good thing we have is not something that we earn or work for or that we even deserve. Instead, it's something that is freely given from him to us. But there's this, there's this common pattern that we experience that, that we go through that blocks us from this realigning power of giving thanks. It's a pattern that kind of undermines our gratitude. And it, it starts like this. It starts like this. We usually, we have some sort of expectation, some kind of expectation about the future. And of course, expectations and hopes and dreams, those aren't bad things. But what we do is we often tacitly attach our gratitude to whether or not our expectations are met. The higher the expectations or the more we think that we deserve what we're expecting, then the more likely those expectations are to lead to disappointment if they're not met. That's the next thing we experience, disappointment. Disappointment, it's also not necessarily a bad thing. We all experience disappointment, but when we do experience it, we need to realize that we're actually finding ourselves at a decision crossroad. When we experience disappointment, we've got a choice before us. And our choice is, will we choose gratitude even in the face of disappointment, or will we choose to kind of just sit and wallow in that disappointment? And if we decide to, that second option, if we decide to, to linger in disappointment, then that's a place where we can very easily get stuck in. When all of that attention, all our attention and our focus is on something that we, we did not get, but we expected to get, or we feel entitled to, then the idea of giving thanks, honestly, it, it just kind of seems laughable in those times. And if disappointments then begin to kind of pile up on top of each other, as they have probably for most of us at some point in 2020, when they begin to pile up on top of each other, then we can move from disappointment and discouragement can really easily set in. 
And when discouragement sets in, the idea of giving thanks to God, that just seems even farther out of reach. And so, so what do we do when we find ourselves experiencing disappointment or discouragement? I want to suggest today a plan that can act as a roadmap for helping us get unstuck from those spots. And it's a really simple plan. It's actually something that we use in the kids' ministry here at Seabreeze quite a bit. We use it to help parents and to help kids figure out how they can seek God's help and get unstuck when they find themselves bogged down by, by difficult thoughts or emotions. So the plan is called this. It's called Hey, Say, Pray, Obey. Hey, Say, Pray, Obey. And each word here, it represents a step that we can take toward getting unstuck. Today, we're going to look at the hey and the say, and then next week, we're going to talk about the pray and obey. So first, let's go ahead and look at the hey. The hey, that reminds us to stop and say, hey, I know what this is. The first step to getting unstuck is to stop and actually name the thoughts and emotions that we're dealing with. In the case of disappointment, this can look as simple as saying, hey, I know what this is. This is disappointment. And, and we name it, we name the thought or the emotion, not just because it's something that's interesting for us to know. We actually name it because knowing what we're facing allows us then to take steps to actually dealing with it. Now, um, a few weeks ago, my, my daughters, I, I had the opportunity to take my two oldest daughters. They're five and six years old. Millie and Clara, uh, I took them on a road trip up to the Bay Area for a few days to visit my parents. And, you know, they're five and six, so we had never done anything like this before. Um, and, and it ended up being, being a blast. We had, we had a lot of fun. We'd never done a father-daughter road trip before. But leading up to the trip, man, they were super excited, as you can imagine. They, it was just all they talked about for days leading up to our trip. But then the day before we were scheduled to leave, something came up and it looked like we were going to have to cancel the whole thing and call it off. And so, as you can imagine, with, you know, little girls involved, the tears were not in short supply when we had to sit down and tell them, hey, it looks like this might not happen. And um, I actually asked my daughter's permission to share the story with you, and they wanted to make sure that you knew that it was them who were crying, not my wife and I. So, <laughs> apparently it's embarrassing to have parents who cry over canceled road trips. Um, so I didn't cry. Um, so, but I was bummed. I was really bummed. I had been looking forward to this trip with my girls, and so we had at least that in common, that we were all really disappointed. And so what we did is, as a family, we just paused, and we acknowledged out loud, we're all just really disappointed right now. We expected to do this, and now it looks like we probably can't. And naming our disappointment, that didn't make it go away. It didn't make it go away for them. It didn't make it go away for me. But it did help us begin to find our footing. Putting words like disappointment to the things that we're feeling and thinking gives us a chance uh, to actually really orient ourselves. Our thoughts and emotions, and they can just kind of come at us like a wave. And when we get caught up in them, when we're swirling around in them, it can actually be a really disorienting experience. It can be tough to even find up from down. But doing something as simple as naming what we're thinking and feeling, that begins to help reorient us. Saying, I'm feeling disappointed because of blank. It may not be something that'll help us, that'll, that'll actually get us out of the water, but it does help us begin to at least distinguish up from down. 
And for me, it's actually much easier to do this when it comes to helping my children or helping someone else kind of name and figure, it out what it, figure out what it is that they're thinking and feeling. It's, it's much more difficult when it comes to nailing those things down for myself. It's, it's not easy, but it is something that the Bible tells us to do. 2 Corinthians 5, or, or 10 verse 5 says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does this mean? What does it mean to take captive every thought? Taking every thought captive means that we don't permit our thoughts and emotions to go unchecked in our heads or to have free reign in our hearts. It means that we recognize that not all of the thoughts that enter our minds are equally beneficial. In fact, some of the things that come into our minds are are downright harmful to us. And if all the thoughts that that came into our minds were were good, if everything that came into our mind was true, or or if all of our emotions accurately pointed us to God, then there'd be no need for this verse in the Bible. (laughs) There'd be no need for us to take our thoughts captive. But our thoughts and emotions, they often and even frequently, they mislead us. We all know that. We've all been misled by our thoughts or our emotions at some point before. And so we take them captive in order to distinguish the helpful from the harmful. If you've ever flown abroad, uh, gone on a trip, flown abroad, and then returned to the U.S., then you know that there's this whole process that you go through between the time when your plan hits the ground at LAX and when you actually get to walk out of the airport. That process, depending on the day, it can take a really long time. It can take hours between when your plane lands and when you're actually free to go wherever it is that you want to go. They don't just, as soon as the plane lands, open the doors and say, all right, everybody out, welcome, go on your way. Instead, there's this whole process that you go through um, of customs and immigration. And in that process, you do things like you show your passport. Someone checks to see who you are. You answer questions. People ask you questions about who you are and, and why you're there. And one of the reasons that all countries have some form of this process is to identify anyone coming into the country who has intent to cause harm. The vast majority of travelers, of course, they have good and valid Uh, purposes and and intentions, but then mixed in with the valid purposes are those with malintent. And because those with malintent don't raise their hands and identify themselves and say, hey, I'm coming here to cause harm, because of that, it's important to sift through everyone as they arrive. And any government that, that did not do this, that just assumed the best in people, we would, we would call that government naive. Or we would probably even go a little bit farther than that. We'd say, no, that's not just naive. That's, that's a dangerous thing to do, to just assume the best in all people. Similarly, it would be naive and, and even dangerous of us if we simply assume the best of our thoughts and emotions and for that reason fail to take them captive. And so we're told to take them captive. And what, what God has told us to do, he's actually equipped us to do. He hasn't just told us to do this without equipping us. He's equipped us to do this. Consider, consider this. Humans, we are the only members of God's creation who have been given the ability to analyze the things that we feel. 
we are the only creatures that can think about what we think. Now, lots of things that God made can, can think, but we're the only ones that can actually think about what we think. And we're also the only creatures that can turn to our maker and we can say, God, please help me right now figure out what it is that I'm thinking and what it is that I'm feeling so that I can make those thoughts obedient to you. God's equipped us with a mind that's uniquely able to take our thoughts captive, and he actually expects us to use that. Now, in the, in the kids' ministry, I mentioned we, we use this in the kids' ministry here. We teach this to kids not because this is something that's childish, and, and not, just, not because this is something that God just wants for kids to know, but once you turn 13, you don't need this anymore. We actually teach it to kids because this is an important building block for developing Christ-like maturity. A 10-year-old who can name the things that she is thinking and feeling and then can take actions to deal with those things is in many ways more mature than a 30-year-old who has never learned how to do those things and allows himself to be the victim of his emotions. So the goal here, the goal in all of this, the goal of taking our thoughts captive is to make them obedient to Christ, as we see there. We don't just take a thought captive simply to classify it and then release it back into the wild so that it can continue to do damage. We're actually, we're actually working towards something. And so when we work our way through, hey, say, pray, obey, the goal is to get from hey to obey. From, hey, I know what this is, to I'm actually obeying God in this circumstance. And this is true when it comes to disappointment. It's also true when it comes to, really, any, any other thoughts or emotions that we experience. Am I angry? Okay, well, how do I get from, hey, I'm feeling angry right now, to I'm actually obeying God in this situation? Am I feeling resentment towards someone? Okay, well, how do I get from I'm feeling resentment or bitterness to I'm actually moving past that and obeying God here? That's what we're after, the obedience. That's, that's what we're after here. And one of the steps that we need to take to get from hey to obey is say. The hey, that reminds us to stop and take our thoughts captive. The say, that reminds us to say truth from God's word. Harmful thoughts and emotions they tend to be harmful because they have lies embedded within them. Often they're a, kind of this deadly mixture of truth and lies. They have just enough truth in them to make them palatable to us so that we don't reject them outright, but they have enough lie in them to really do damage and, and cause us to get stuck. And so, of course, one of the best ways to combat a lie is with truth. Not just with a, with a partial truth, but with a whole truth. And truth, is, it's not something that we can just conjure up on our own. Truth, doesn't, uh, truth comes from outside of us. It doesn't come from within us. Specifically, truth comes from God's word. And thankfully, we've had God's word revealed to us in the Bible. When we realize that we're dealing with a potentially harmful thought, we need to say truth from God's word to help us get unstuck and get on that road toward obedience. But there's a problem with this. And, and, and the problem is that harmful thoughts, they don't just wait until we're sitting down in the morning with our Bible open before they attack. 
uh, things like disappointment and discouragement, they rarely present themselves to us at convenient times like that. And none of us has the ability to look ahead into the future in this week and see, you know what? I think I'm going to have a bout with self-pity at some point in this week. And just as I look at my schedule, I see I've got some time available on Wednesdays around, around lunch. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to write on my calendar, bout with self-pity. There we go. Put it right there between noon and one. No, none of us has the ability to look ahead and do that. Instead, those, those thoughts, they come at us. At times, they're really inconvenient. They come at us while we're busy, while we're with our families, while we're at work. And most employers, they're not going to be okay if you just excuse yourself from a meeting so you can take 20 minutes to go look through the Bible and see what it has to say about self-pity or disappointment or anger or any of these things. And so for this reason, it's really helpful if we can begin to memorize some key verses from God's word to carry with us throughout our days. Psalm 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what the psalmist here is saying, he's saying that in my effort to obey you, God, because I desire, as it says here, not to sin against you, I've hidden your word in my heart. In other words, he memorized it. He memorized God's word. When I, when I was in college, I knew that it was important to memorize God's word. I knew that that was, that that was a good thing but I wasn't convinced of it enough to actually do it. Uh, maybe you've got some things like that or, or have, some, have some things um, where that's been the case for you where you know something is important, but you just don't know it enough to actually make it a part of your life and, and make it a habit. So that was me with, with memorizing God's word in college. And then I met, I met a guy named Brian, and Brian actually memorized God's word. And he was about 10 years older than me, and, and, and one of the things that, that he helped me do is he helped challenge me, not just challenge me to memorize God's word, he really helped me to see the value of memorizing God's word in a way where it just hadn't really clicked for me before. He more or less impressed upon me, Ethan, you are a grown-up now who's trying to follow Jesus. It's going to be really helpful if you actually know some of the things from his word. And that just that began to make sense to me, really, for the for the first time, or at least in a, in a new way. And so one of the things that I learned to do at that time was to choose verses to memorize that would offer some truth from God's word related to specific areas of my life where I found myself consistently struggling or in patterns of, of getting stuck. And so for me, one of those areas was anger. I kept going through the same patterns where I'd have angry thoughts and emotions and, of course, unchecked, those would lead to disobedience. And so I kept going through those patterns, but Brian had showed me a way of memorizing scripture where you just, you take a, uh, a little flashcard, like this guy right here, and you write, you find some verses, you write them on the card, you stick it in your pocket, and then throughout the day, you review it and, um, until you know it, and then there you go, you've got it. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty simple a pretty simple little system. Now they've got uh, apps that do that same thing, but at the, at the time they didn't have the apps, and so I've got a flashcard instead. <laughs> so what I did is I went out and I found some verses on anger, and I wrote them down uh, on a card like this, and one of those was Proverbs 
1911. And uh, I actually wrote it on this card right here, and here's what it says. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's a really helpful verse for young man Ethan. And, and memorizing those 16 words 12 years ago, what that did is it gave me a tool that I still use to this day. When those familiar patterns of anger, when I see those begin to surface, I can do more than just name it. I actually am equipped, because of this verse and some other verses like it, to respond with truth from God's word. And so if you find yourself in patterns, maybe it's not anger, maybe it's something else, but having the same thoughts and emotions over and over again, that's a really good indicator that you might need to memorize from tr some truth from God's word related to that area. And when it comes to disappointment, the go-to verse that we use in the kids' ministry is this verse that we started with here today, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the verse that says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this verse has been so helpful for, for my family, uh, not just when my kids experience disappointment, but when, when my wife and I experience disappointment as well. It's been really helpful. It also happens to be a verse that's short enough to easily memorize, which I think is, is a huge plus. But in addition to that, what it does is it reminds us that in all circumstances, even those really big let down circumstances, God has a will for us. And his will is that we would give thanks. And so next week, as we expand this a little bit more, we're going to talk about practically what it looks like to give thanks uh, as we look at the pray and the obey of, hey, say, pray, obey. But for now, we're going to close by, uh, by looking at just a few next steps to consider related to the two that we talked about today, related to hey and to say. So for hey, here's the next step to consider. Consider identifying a thought or emotion where you have a pattern of getting stuck. Identify it so that when it surfaces, you can take it captive and you can say, hey, I actually know what this is. This is familiar to me. I can name it. And maybe something immediately comes to mind for you when you think about this. If not, then consider just asking God to draw your attention to something, to bring something to mind that would be really helpful for you to, to be able to identify. You might even consider asking someone who knows you really well and who you trust um, if they see any patterns that would be helpful for you. Um, I know any time that I've done this, I don't particularly like asking input on this kind of thing, but anytime that I have done it, it's been really helpful for me when I ask people that I trust who know me well. Related to the say, a next step to consider would be this. Memorize a verse related to an area where you have a pattern of getting stuck. So identify it, but then also memorize a verse related to that area so that you can counter the lies when they come along in the moment when you really need it. And if memorizing scripture is new to you, then I would recommend starting with something short. Find something short um, to memorize. There are times when it's helpful to memorize really long passages of Scripture, maybe a whole chapter or a bigger chunk like that. But often, especially in those times when we're, when we're confronted with potentially harmful thoughts in the moment, it can be really helpful to have a succinct piece of God's Word on hand. If you know an area where... Um, where you get stuck, but you're not sure of a verse that would be helpful or any part of God's word that speaks to that, then again, it could be a really good thing to ask someone, maybe who, who has been walking with God a little bit longer 
or um, who you think might, might be able to point you in the right direction, just if they know anything where God's word would speak into the area where you find yourself in a pattern of getting stuck. But having truth from God's word will help you. It'll help us as we try to keep on track toward obedience to God. Let's pray. God, you have given us so much to be thankful for in our lives. Um, You have given us Jesus Christ. You have given us the opportunity to be saved from our sin. And then you pour on so many blessings on top of that. But God, there are times when really hard things come along that are a challenge to our thankfulness. Um, And God, in those times... We are tempted just to turn inside of ourselves and, and forget about you um, or even be angry with you. And so, God, I pray in, um, not, just, not just in the, the good times, but in the times when our thankfulness is really challenged, that you would help us to keep our perspective on who you are and, um, and who we are in relation to you, God, and that as we, uh, as we offer up gratitude towards you, that you would help us um, begin to con- or continue to, to move forward and walking with you. God, we thank you so much for your word, and that you don't um, keep it from us, but you have given it to us, and we have access to it, and we thank you so much for this, God. In Jesus' name, amen.